Hey, Kelsey. Hey, Brooke. Want to tell everyone what's happening in today's episode? Today, we are going to talk about women who have been intentionally written out of history, and one of them was Alice Paul. Okay. And how dare they? How dare they? <laughs> <laughs> Let's get into it. Hello, and welcome to Remedial Her Story, the other 50% the podcast that explores what happened to the women in history class. Now, here's your host, Kelsey Brooke Eckert, and her partner in crime, Brooke Neva Sullivan. Episode 26, Getting Written Out and Alice Paul. Brooke, this week, I got to sit down with the Tina Cassidy again. Okay. And she t- she joined us when we talked about Jackie Onassis. Yes, yeah. So this Great week, chat. she is back to talk with us about Alice Tina! Paul. Tina! Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back. <laughs> wow, I feel like you have a career in singing. I mean, yeah. I'm leaving my current career, and I'll be starting a YouTube channel. All see right. you soon. Woo! <laughs> you can see me with show tunes and wine. That'll be my channel. <laughs> It'll be very uh, Ju- Judy Garland-esque. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, sorry, what are we talking about? So, Tina Cassidy is an author. She is a chief marketing officer for, P- for organizations like PBS. Okay. Um, and she is incredible. And so I'm going to play the clip that she shared introducing herself. Hi, my name is Tina Cassidy, and I write about women and culture as sort of my side gig, if you will. It's it's what I do for fun and also for personal edification. And my day job, I'm the chief marketing officer at WGBH, Educational Foundation in Boston. Um, and we are the largest content creator for PBS, and we also own uh, Boston's local NPR station. And prior to my current role, I was also, I I worked in agencies. And before that, I was a journalist. Uh, I think I was probably 11 years old when I decided I wanted to be a writer. So really storytelling has been the thread throughout all of the various aspects of my professional career. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. I didn't actually know that you had created content for PBS. So that's pretty cool. I just watched um, the the vote, the recent documentary that came out. That was so good. <laughs> yes, I was happy to be in that as well. I can tell you a funny story, which was that I um, I was interviewed to be in that documentary, and then a couple of weeks later, I got a phone call from GBH asking if um, I would interview for the role of chief marketing officer and. Uh, uh, American Experience, which created that documentary, is made at GBH. So, of course, I got the job, and it just they didn't know that I had been interviewed for the documentary. So it's just kind of funny position to be in way after the fact to be promoting a film that I was in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that was it. Was great. It was really great. It's a it's a well made documentary. So. Tina's incredible, obviously, and just such a wealth of knowledge about yeah the women that she's written about, and um, and just very passionate about getting women's history into the classroom. yeah, which like we're all here for. So thank you, Tina. Yeah. This is awesome. 
So one thing that I really uh, am curious about when it comes to specific women like Alice Paul, Jackie O, yep. is why are even some of these bigger name people not household names? So pop quiz, Brooke. Mm. Alice Paul. No clue. Great. <laughs> <laughs> I know our audience is real surprised on that one. But who's Alice Paul? <laughs> so Alice- Wait, can I guess? Yes. All right, let's 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 do some context clues. Paul. 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 I don't know any presidents, Paul. Nope. Don't know any generals? She's an outlier. Oh. Was she a Mrs. Paul? Nope. Damn. Definitely not. Well, Alice is a younger name. Gosh, I'm lost. When did she live? Who is she? Why don't I know her name? (laughs) You would recall her from our suffrage episode. So, Alice Paul... Uh, is part of what I call, like, a second wave of the suffrage movement. Susan B. Anthony, Elizabeth Cady Stanton. First wave. First wave. Sojourner Truth. Those women have passed away. Right. Okay? They pass away right at the turn of the century. Gone. Dead, gone. Done amazing things. Okay? But those women are the role models for a new, younger generation of women who are caught college educated. Mm-hmm. Alice Paul has multiple college degrees, including oh, a PhD. Um, she studied at Oxford, just to be casual. I'm sorry. <laughs> and while in Britain, she became involved in the British suffrage movement. Okay. And the British suffrage movement was... More fr- violent. <laughs> more violent, more radical. Um, and Depicted she- in Mary Poppins poorly. <laughs> Yeah, accurate. <laughs> um, and so when she comes back, though, people are very wary of working with her. And um, I remember this. So does this sound it, familiar? Yeah. yeah, because they were like, God, she's taking us to a whole new level right. of, like, aggressive, yeah. go after it. But she just came back from the British suffrage movement, with which, like imprisoned women made them actually starve to death in prison yeah. like it, yeah well they also chose and refused food right. as part of their protest which is fabulous yeah um so paul takes real all aggressive. those tactics yeah and brings them to the united states but she has to build a platform for herself first so she gets connected with nasa and which is the national american women's suffrage association and they sort of reluctantly are like okay and they bring her on and they're a relatively moderate association like weren't they trying to make change through policy they are trying to win suffrage state by state right. and um and and they are petitioning but they are very much trying to show that suffrage is practical, that suffrage is rational, and that they're not going to resort to those radical tactics uh, that the British are using, um, because they didn't think that would work, and that that would would create bigger barriers to their cause. Didn't it work? So, Alice Paul comes back, and um, she... And her team, so they, they end up breaking away from NASA. Um, there's a kind of a hostile relationship there. They get okay. accused of violating um, fundraising guidelines and things <gasps> like that. Shocking. And so she just, she breaks ties with NASA, creates She's the, out. the National Women's Party, which becomes this more, more radical women's group. And um, they go, and their, their mission is... National Amendment. 
amendment, and we are going to change. We are going we to, are get to attack the amendment. Yeah. Okay. And so wait, sorry. Their acronym was NWP, National Women's Party, and there is a their their building is actually near the U.S. Capitol where where the NWP was. So it's right across the street, actually. So I've oh. gone and like gotten made my students take pictures there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so surprised, Kelsey. That sounds really unlike you. Yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> this is super cat. <laughs> hey guys, um, this is a random building with a plaque. So weird. <laughs> it's like I don't know how we got here. Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! It's NWP. Woo-hoo. It's so weird. I didn't know this was here. <laughs> oh my god! Get my camera. Yeah, uh, yeah. Pause. <laughs> so she's, um, she basically is the radical group that gets the suffrage amendment finally passed and it's not to discredit the other women from NASA and other groups because they are like Carrie Chapman Cat for example um Shaw Ida B Wells I mean um, they moved many an, a roadblock right and i think every movement sort of needs the multiple like factions that are you working have to. toward you gotta it. and keep she going. represents the more radical group and so they are the ones You're done with NWP yeah you know me <laughs> sorry anyways <laughs> So they're the ones that, um, when World War One breaks out, they are the ones outside the White House with the banners. The ones that, when you think suffrage, you, you think, think NWP. Yeah. They're the ones holding signs that have phrases that Woodrow Wilson, who was the president at the time, said about fighting for democracy abroad. And they oh. say, really, that's fascinating that you're going to go fight for Germany to have democracy. But you're not going to fight for democracy here. There's, oh, you know, snap! Yeah, they're, they're Make it a t-shirt. Feisty. Make it a thing. They end up getting arrested for blocking traffic. Well, yeah, that's how you get noticed. Right. The blocking traffic thing, though, was, like, obviously BS. And Correct. So they go to prison, um, and they're in these workhouses. They start starving themselves, like, refusing to eat. I mean, um, sounds like it's going to work. Yeah, and it eventually does. And, and Don't so, they call it, like, don't they name that the knights that they got arrested something? Um, there's the night of terror because right. they were, they were beaten in prison, um, right. and handcuffed, like with their hands above yes. them where they're, you know, very uncomfortable. Um, their heads, you know, women had their heads thrown against, um, like cement walls and stuff like really, really terrible things happened. This is what women did to get us the vote. Yes. Just so you know. But a lot of textbooks say things like they were given the vote. Like, no, no, no. They, they, fucking took it (laughs) so so yeah so i'm summarizing all of this because we have talked about it before yeah but um but i think her she's sort of the end of these many many decade yes um she's the punctuation point to it and um so alice paul was not a name that i learned in school and I did, I think I did learn the name Susan B. Anthony, the generation. I definitely before. did, but I don't know if that's because I come from Connecticut or not. Yeah. <laughs> so both of those women are interesting to contrast Alice Paul, like remembering Alice Paul and Susan B. Anthony. Susan B. Anthony wrote, well, her friend wrote the book, The mm-hmm. History of the Suffrage Movement, which sort of solidified her in our collective memory about women's suffrage, her right. and Elizabeth Cady Stanton. And so, and it, it, it sort of raised the uh, Seneca Falls Conference yep. um, to m- maybe greater prominence. But Alice Paul, by contrast, was literally and intentionally written out of 
historical events and historical knowledge. Is it because she was too radical? It's because she was too radical. So I picked up with Tina Cassidy to talk about what Paul did after the 19th <gasps> Amendment. Cool. This was not the end for her. So I asked... I would imagine not. Someone <laughs> with multiple degrees and willing to fight for just about any cause that had to do with helping women. To starve herself. Yeah. Get beaten up in prison. I yeah. imagine she was like, all right, now I can retire. And now we're done. No. And this is over. Yeah. So this is what Tina Cassidy had to say okay. about Paul getting written out of history. Well, I, I, I would argue that even her work leading up to the 19th Amendment is not very well known. I think maybe in the centennial year that we're in right now, um, the centennial for the 19th Amendment, many people have learned about it, but I still think it's, it's, it's not popular American history, and it should be for something that important. I think the reasons why Alice Paul in general is not well known is because uh, she was very humble. She was a Quaker who, for whom equality was, was rooted in her religious tradition. And this was not necessarily about politics. It was not necessarily about one issue. And um, for her, you know, she was led by um, her vision for a more equal America. Um, it was not about her and a crusade that she was on personally. And so she never put herself out there uh, as uh, someone who wanted attention as the leader. It was always about the issue. And she was a brilliant uh, campaign strategist and so forth and worked tirelessly behind the scenes, not just for the 19th Amendment, but for other issues that came after, which I'm happy to, to speak to in a moment. Um, at the end of the 19th um, Amendment campaign, when the Secretary of State went to uh, sign the amendment um, into law, making it part of the U.S. Constitution, he actively uh, refused to let her in um, to be present, but he did allow other suffragists um, who were, uh, let's say, better behaved into his office and they were photographed um, you know, to, as part of the signing ceremony. And so Alice Paul was quite literally cut out of the history that she helped create. So there was this whole myth-making around, you know, how the 19th Amendment passed and, and she was not a part of that. Uh, the other piece is that those same group of the good suffragists, if you will, some of them went on to create the League of Women Voters and they also wrote the history for the 19th Amendment and left Alice Paul out of it. So part of it was her own humility and part of it was sort of an active <laughs> um, effort to cut her out because many believed she was too militant and uh, you know didn't play nice. She was impatient, and you know even though it was a seventy-year journey to from from Seneca Falls Convention, the first women's rights convention in America, to the passage of the Nineteenth Amendment. So the, her her same. So after the Nineteenth Amendment passes, you know, two years later, she goes on to write the Equal Rights Amendment, and. Uh, and then, you know, throughout the course of her career, she uh, drafted or worked on many hundreds of pieces of legislation to um, for women's rights in America and also worked um, around the world uh, after the Second World War uh, for women's rights globally. 
So she did dedicate her entire life um, to the cause. Um, it is worth noting, of course, the Equal Rights Amendment is not part of our Constitution now. Um, although just in the last 18 months, um, the last three states have ratified the ERA, and there are many people who think that in the coming year there could be some momentum in Congress that would help move it forward um, to, to ratify it finally. So who knows? We might be talking about Alice Paul again for very different reasons. So It's kind of like a mean girls group a little bit of like we're cooler than you and we got this done and you didn't. But it's like they did it on her back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they needed her radicalism. To yeah. To get across the line. Happen. Yeah. Yeah. Sad. So I asked her um, what, you know, in, so the next thing that Alice Paul works on is she sees that, okay, now women have the constitutional right to vote, mm -hmm. but they don't have any other protections under the Constitution. And so she sets her sights on the Equal Rights Amendment, and she writes the language for the Equal Rights Amendment. Okay. And, but in my mind, my understanding of history, I don't think Equal Rights Amendment 1920. I think Equal Rights Amendment, like, 1970. Yeah, I guess that's where my mind goes, too. So that's 50 years of time when this amendment has been drafted. So Alice Paul, in my brain, her history ends with the 19th Amendment, but that's actually just the beginning of her advocacy. Right, yeah. So I asked her why she thought this um, legislation after this is lesser known and, yeah. and what she's doing after the 19th Amendment. I know, she doesn't just walk off into the sunset. She has to be continuing her legend. Right, right. So this is what she said. Uh, well, I think that there were a lot of other really other important things that were happening in the world. You know, we um, uh, we had the Great Depression. We had uh, the Second World War. Um, you know, I think then we had the Cold War. Um, so, you know, those are some big generational um, things that went on. It, it doesn't mean that the ERA, I think, was lost during that time. What is really fascinating, I, I always sort of like to think about the, the positive elements of history. What kept it alive for so long, right? I mean, it, it wasn't magic. It was hard work. It was constant organizing. Um, you know, and the fact that Alice Paul was able to keep it alive and then it was able to pass Congress and go out to the states for ratification before falling just a few states shy um, is remarkable. I mean, passing a constitutional amendment is not easy, right? And then to think it comes back again from the dead just in the last few years with um, even more states, the last few needed for ratification, um, you know, it's kind of like the amendment that won't die. And I think that there's a reason for that. It's because people can recognize that women, the word woman or women is nowhere in the U.S. Constitution. Women are, were literally not written into the Constitution of America. And it's bizarre. And people don't even realize it. And, and those who may you know, good on them. But if there have been polls taken as well recently that show that like 90% of Americans think that the ERA is part of our constitution already. So that's another misperception that's out there. Seems so obvious. It must have passed, but it hasn't. 
So it kind of makes sense, right? Yeah. There's a lot of things going on in this time period post-19th Amendment. Yep. And it makes sense that this would not be the primary focus. It totally makes sense. And does it, is it right? Not so sure, but... Well, it's weird that you would, you would think the momentum they had in World War One, mm. where they didn't give up, they didn't stop advocating, but it almost seemed like they got this victory so they could kind of put women away for a little while. They were like, all right, we gave them something, like, let's go do something else now. Yeah. Um, but... I, and not that World War Two is, like, you know, not worth a worthy cause. <laughs> I mean, not, what is that time? No, just <laughs> I mean, yeah, World War Two, pretty big issue. I guess we can put liberties aside. But I, I get the irony of it. Like, you're going off to fight for democracy in another country. Mm-hmm. And you don't really have it at home. Yeah, you have the right to vote at home, but you don't have equal protections under, under law. law yeah. at home. And lots of random policies that it's going to take many women for the next... I mean, at this point in time, you can't own a mortgage. You can't buy a home by yourself. Yeah. You can't sign a lease on a car or... Can't get a credit card without your husband. No, you have to have a man to do any of that. Right. And hopefully a married man, because that makes more sense to the government. Right. (laughs) So, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Like, you come so far. Like, you can vote. Good. Now you can start changing... At least the people in office who make those policies, but the policies still haven't changed very far. Yeah. And now you're being asked to take on jobs and careers that men typically held while they're away. Yeah. Great. Thanks. Great. Thanks for that. (laughs) But I can't plan for retirement or own my own home. (laughs) Right. And if you don't come home, like, I'm still screwed over here. Yeah. (laughs) Still got to move back with my mom. And, oh, gosh, if she doesn't have a dad. Yeah. Still screwed. Better go find a male neighbor to take you in. So for Alice Paul, her getting written out of history is sort of a combination of she doesn't want to be. Right. She's intentionally written out by the people who didn't like her radical approach to things. Um, Well, it's like kind of distancing yourself from someone who doesn't have the same methodology as you. It's like, no, 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 she's crazy, but we're normal. Right. It's like... Girl, she got you here. (laughs) Give her a high five and put her in the picture. Right, exactly. So I think this is a really good place to take a break. Ah, And we'll be right back. For lesson plan ideas and how to teach women's history, go to our website, www.remedialherstory.com. You can also follow us on Instagram or Facebook. If you think what we're doing is needed, please consider joining our Patreon community. Through Patreon, you can sponsor a podcast with a small donation. Patrons get access to behind-the-scenes information, gear, and bonus episodes. Patreon allows you, the listener, to ensure that the shows you love continue. This episode is sponsored by our patrons, Kent and Jamie Heckel from Ohio, Leah Tanger from Connecticut, Sarah Reardon from New Hampshire, Barbara Tischler from New York, Mark Breyer from wherever his van has wandered, Jeffrey Ecker and Brooke Neva Sullivan from right here next to me. Thank you so much for your contributions to this podcast. You make it possible. All right, welcome back. Whoop, whoop. 
<laughs> okay, so we've learned all these things about her. Why is she not someone we've learned about? Yeah, so I think if you have a teacher who teaches women's history, she's learned about in the context of the 19th Amendment and then kind of dropped. Okay. I think that she is not taught after that. And it's really funny because she's still a very young woman with a long yeah. career ahead of her. What, how old is she at this point? Oh, I don't know, but let's <coughs> see. I think she gets her doctorates in the... I'm making this up, but I'm going to guess, like, the mid-10s, something like that. Okay, I'm putting her, like, mid-30s? Yeah, or 20s. So oh, still. she's young. Okay. She's young. So I'm making, I'm, I'm, those dates are fudged a little bit, but maybe 20s or 30s, so she's really young. That's impressive. She's got lots of years of life ahead of her. No, don't you know you die at 30? Oh. <laughs> Isn't that a thing that, still? That's still a thing. No, J-Lo exists. So does Shakira. So does Shakira. <laughs> Shakira, Shakira. Aren't they like 65? They're amazing. I know. Um, so... I, that's what I asked Tina Cassidy, though. Oh, so I think it's good. a really okay. great question. So I asked her if there was one thing that you wished every school child knew about Alice Paul, what would it be? And great. this is what she said. Well, there are the basics that everyone should know about her, which is that she was the mastermind behind this idea of needing a constitutional amendment guaranteeing the vote for women. There were other suffrage organizations out there that were trying to get voting rights for women at the state level. But Alice Paul knew that there were many states in America that would never grant the vote to women. Most of them were in the South. Um, there, in more recent years, has been a lot of conversation about racism in the suffrage movement, and that certainly was a thing. Racism is still a thing. And um, I think anywhere where, you know, where racism is, it needs to be eradicated. Um, Alice Paul definitely recognized that a federal amendment would be necessary to combat the racist roots for the anti-suffrage movement in the South. That doesn't mean that, um, you know, she... I should add, Alice Paul also did and said some things that were racist, right? And so I think it's important as we study historical figures to know that people are complex. They can possess good qualities and bad qualities, and we can judge them on the whole of their character. And we can sit and learn so much about ourselves and our history by understanding the layers that people bring to a cause or a movement. Um, and I, I do think it's worth considering all aspects of who Alice Paul was. The third thing, of course, is that she did also draft the Equal Rights Amendment. And that amendment is still um, alive and awaiting final ratification, and that could come soon. Um, I think a fourth thing to know about her is that uh, it, her, her political views around equality were also shaped by her religious views as a Quaker, which is really interesting. There were, you know, many Quakers were among the early abolitionists as well, and many were also in the suffrage movement. Um, and so the idea that equality could be at the center of a religion, um, I think is, is really important even today. It's still a relevant idea. 
Um, so those are those are the big ones. I will tell you one of the most common questions I get about Alice Paul is whether uh, she was married or was ever in a relationship. Um, I certainly appreciate the question, even though I don't really think it's relevant, but I'll provide the answer because so many people ask. Um, no, the answer is she was never um, never married or in a relationship. I think her you know, uh, there, there's no concrete evidence as to her sexual orientation or her gender identity. Um, you know, she she really was dedicated to uh, to suffrage and to the cause of equal rights for women her whole life. They do a good job in the film showing that that the one that we referenced before, um, but it, it it's so funny because even that film could not help but give a love interest, and I, I it cracks me up that you do get that question a lot. And yeah, and you know, I mean, I there are so many people who say, well, of course, Alice Paul was probably a lesbian, and and I mean, she very well may have been. There were plenty of um, you know lesbians who were incredibly important to the suffrage movement. I think it's important to acknowledge that um, lesbians who did not marry men um, were at increased sort of risk for instability in many economic aspects of their lives. Like women weren't allowed to own property. They couldn't own a bank, open a bank account without a man signing. Like there were so many misogynistic aspects of, of life then. I mean, even up until the 1970s, women couldn't have a bank account on their own or a credit card, right? So if you think about, um, you know, what it was like then to, to live as a lesbian, uh, it would have been even harder. So there would have been even greater motivation for them to want equal rights. Um, you know, but, but even still, there are plenty of uh, cis women who recognized the problems of the inequality in the system. And so, you know, it really required all kinds of women as it does today to make change. So there's a lot in what she just said. Yeah, interesting. I mean, there's things that, there's people in history that have done some things that you want to turn away from and not teach because mm -hmm. they're really hard. They're mm -hmm. hard to listen to, they're hard to learn, but doesn't mean that you shouldn't, teach on those topics and say these are wrong things and these are the reasons that they probably f used that as their mm -hmm. foundation of education yeah and, and obviously her like if her ex you know in you know tina cassidy talked right. about ida b wells being pushed to the back of the parade and ida b wells obviously being a badass and being gets like, right up not in there gonna do things. <laughs> um which i love but that's not like you're saying like it's hard to know if she was being a pragmatic politician and knowing that she has to get these southern white women to march Maybe. in this parade too or I think that's if, very generous of you or is that her i mean that it's still low it doesn't change that it's low key racist like it's racism so how like how do you how how let's, do you let's face put it, her though, in like, her time and, and do yeah. you just say she was not ahead of her time and that's sad, and but she was in her time? Yeah, I think that's exactly what you say is you give the context and you let students determine that too. It's like 
this person lived, they lived in this time period, and these behaviors in that time period were pretty prevalent. Yeah, I mean, Woodrow Wilson during exactly, that same era like, resegregated DC. It had already been desegregated. And cool. Resegregated. Sounds like a great guy. <laughs> so weird. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's exactly the things that you're going to run into is like people lived those time periods. They were not woke. They are not in 2020. No. They're not reading things. Not 2020 showed us. Oh, I know. <laughs> but at least. Anymore. Oh, yeah. T- turns out 2020 cured racism. No, but like, <laughs> they're not ed- self educating yeah. on. On discrimination, well, and they have no awareness of their behavior at that time period. So you have to, you have to tell students that, and then you have to say, "This is where we're at, and this is where she's at." We're not excusing her behavior; right. we're recognizing it. Right, but she well, also doesn't it doesn't deplete some of her actions. Saw this resurgence of white supremacist movements. There was a yes. KKK march on Washington, um, which is just horrifying. By the way, the but pictures when you think of about that, it. Like, Seeing these people in their cloaks marching oh, through D.C. horrifying. I mean, last week I think all those people learned why their family members used to wear hats now that they're all arrested. But, um, <laughs> no, there's, I think when you think about, those are the children, 1920s, those are the children of former slave owners. Right. They're now grown up. They're now right. adults. Well, and so some of those black women came to her and said, listen, we need you, like, you want voting rights for women. You know what would make the biggest difference in the lives of black women in the South and even in the North? You know what would make a big difference is if we didn't have all these black codes, if we didn't have all these, you know, restrictive, you know, poll taxes and things like that, if we didn't have all these things, and Alice Paul says, well, that's not really, like, a suffrage issue that's a racism issue and so she doesn't get into that issue yeah she basically is like that's a you problem not a me problem right and it's like um we're all turns out we all have vaginas so (laughs) can we play on the same fucking softball team that'd be cool (laughs) anyways yeah so and but but Tina gets into I, I pressed on this a little bit and so she gets into that she talks about um you know, the the current resurgence trying to throw Alice Paul under the bus, and it's hard because I love Alice Paul, and I think a lot of people who have studied women's, women's history look at her as this, like, icon of badassery. And at the same time, this piece of her legacy is really hard to oh. grapple with. Nobody's perfect, but at the same time, racism? Right, or rather, I mean, the way, and maybe this is me, like, not... I just see her as being prag- pragmatic in her time. And maybe that's maybe that's me cloaking racism. I don't know. It's a, l- it's a little bit. But it's... I get where you're going. I, told, I get what you're saying. I, I understand it. In the same time, it's like we have to validate she said those things. And they're out in the universe. Yeah. And it's how she felt. March in the back. And know? it didn't help women of color. No. So that's well, where... That's, that's point blank. It didn't yeah, it's help. like, it didn't help women yep. of color. So, yeah, not yeah, not so, super cool of Alice so Paul. Wouldn't, wouldn't put her on the list of anti-racists. No, know? but also not someone who saw women as equal, either. She categorized All women. people. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So... But I do get her work is impressive, and she did make huge impacts for 
well, let's say white women. Yeah. Um, so I asked Tina Cassidy to weigh in on this, and this is what she said. I will say one other thing about Alice Paul that I think is has been insightful for me personally, and that is um, how incredibly strategic and also creative she was. Certainly she had this awesome energy that propelled her her entire life, and I think that really only comes from a place of passion where you just believe so deeply in it, you know, that you need to write this injustice um, that carried her through. But the creativity that she brought to the cause was just tremendous. And if, you know, I think that there are so many lessons for those involved in, in protest movements today, you know, all the different ways she thought about creating different kinds of photo ops or getting press attention um, or engaging regular people in the heartland, um, you know, whether it was to subscribe to her newspaper um, that she created both as a propaganda organ and as a fundraising mechanism. Um, the idea of, you know, driving, women driving cars cross country with scrolls of signatures in favor of the 19th Amendment at a time when women didn't even drive cars, let alone before there was an interstate highway system, um, you know, dropping a banner in the House chamber during a presidential speech, uh, you know, putting a woman on a white horse at the front of a, of a, um, a, a protest march, um, which had never happened before in, in American history, you know, like so many things. It was constant. Um, so I just, I guess I just want to tip my hat to the creativity um, and the stamina and the strategy. Um, you know, it was really all of it quite brilliant and inspiring and uh, lots of great ideas even for people today. It's interesting. I read uh, recently that Alice Paul died in poverty mm -hmm. and had asked for money from, was it the NWP to like support her in her old age or something like that? Well, she was so poor that by the time she was in a nursing home in New Jersey, they had to pass a hat to buy clothes for her. I mean, this woman never had any job besides being an organizer. And all of that required reliance on donations from regular people, you know. And so um, uh, it's just it's really sad to think that um she died in that way, sort of unrecognized and, and, and alone. Um, I think it says a lot about how much we have not appreciated our women heroes in American history. And also, again, speaks to her own humility, you know, where she, she was good about asking for money for her cause, but not so much money for herself to live on. Wow. That's, she's just so cool. <laughs> yeah. I wish I could be better, a better human. <laughs> yes. I know she was really cool. And there were also, you know, I, I do have to give a shout out for some other suffragists too, like Ida B. Wells, who, um, you know, was an African-American woman who, um, you know, marched in that same parade with Alice Paul in, in 1913, even though there were many suffragists, white suffragists who did not think that March should be integrated. Um, she was a woman who uh, was a sort of a pioneering journalist uh, who crusaded against lynching. And, um, you know, it's it was hard enough to be 
a suffragist, a white suffragist, you know, willing to march in the streets um, and all and be called a radical for doing so, but to be a black woman willing to put your body on the line like that um, in the same way, um, in a much more controversial way, um, at a time when racism was so much more overt uh, than it is today, um, is just tremendous. So I think that um, it's also worth just thinking about, you know, what it meant for for black women then um, and women of other ethnicities. Yeah, who, who don't get their vote for many years after that? Well, so I think that's, can we talk about that for a minute? Because yeah. that is um, that is so important. Um, I wanna be really explicit in that the 19th amendment granted voting rights to women. It did not explicitly say voting rights for white women. It did not explicitly exclude um, any other women. It just gave voting rights to women. And what happened was um, that uh, states and, and local governments after the 19th Amendment passed imposed disenfranchisement in certain ways. So maybe they uh, imp imposed a literacy test or a poll tax, or they gerrymandered a district so that it made more it more difficult for African-American votes to count. Those are all the ways that that black women and other uh, and native, you know, native um, Native peoples were uh, disenfranchised. Um, it, I should also note, uh, speaking of uh, Native Americans, um, the 19th Amendment did not affect Native Americans. They weren't considered citizens. So they didn't get the vote until much later because what the 19th Amendment says is that you know women who are citizens can vote. So Native, Native women weren't included. You know, Native men could also could not vote, by the way. Um, Chinese Americans couldn't vote because of this thing called the um, the Chinese Exclusion Act. And, you know, I, I think it's just it is important to just say that um, America has had a history of coming up with ways to not allow certain groups of people to vote. Um, uh, so, you know, Alice Paul's intent with the 19th Amendment was to open that up for as many women as possible. But there were all of these other things at play that, that nipped away at that progress over time. And even in, by 1965, when the, when the Voting Rights Act was passed, it was meant to address many of those moves that had disenfranchised people since the 19th Amendment and the 15th Amendment, which by the way, gave black men the vote after the Civil War. And they had, were also dis disenfranchised after that federal amendment passed. So, I mean, you do have to think about what the states are up to and why they were trying to, um, you know, take power away from their voters. Uh, so, I, so even though this, the Voting Rights Act of 1965 sought to correct all of these injustices, um, there's still voter suppression today you know, there's still ways that that local governments try to disenfranchise voters. Um, we even saw it in the last election. Um, and it's just something that we have to be constantly vigilant about. So, um, yeah, I, I, I do think we have to give the 19th Amendment its due for what it attempted to um, offer American women citizens um, and put the blame for disenfranchisement where it really belongs. 
I think also the tricky part about talking about Alice Paul in a classroom setting is figuring out, like, the 19th Amendment has a clear space because it's such a national... It's a pivotal point. Yeah, Yeah. thing. How do you talk about Alice Paul's contributions to the ERA post that point? Because the big names in the ERA are not... Other than her writing it... um, she's not the big name in that. You think Betty Friedan, you think yeah. Gloria Steinem, right? These these women in the generations to follow. Um, Alice Paul actually dies pretty much in poverty. She doesn't have money. She actually goes to um, NOW, and which is the organization she founded, and asks them to support her financially while she's wow. like... And they they don't. They won't support her, which is just super weird. So there's this kind of, like, she just disappears in the story. And also, the poverty thing speaks a little bit too well. Uh, She doesn't marry, so... Yeah, there's no dudes around to pick her up. Most of her life was in fundraising and all those things. Well, and that's... There's also a huge shift back then in nonprofit world is that nonprofits felt like all the funds that came in had to go to the cause. Nonprofits have since learned that you have an operational budget that you have yeah. to allot for and you can pay staff. Yeah. That was a big change in the 1930s. So, and that was really, really new mm-hmm. to the nonprofit world. And so, like, that's hard. And it's probably hard for them to see how they can give her funding yeah. and give her a paycheck when they don't have an operational budget and all right. the monies go to the cause. Right. And so, she put all the monies to It's the not cause. uncommon. There's actually a whole, um, there's some really cool articles out there, which I can send to you, but, like, about nonprofit directors mm-hmm. actually living in poverty because they give everything to the cause and they don't take a paycheck. Mm-hmm. And they can't for several years. So it's yeah. a huge thing that, yeah. thankfully, nonprofits have fixed. Mm-hmm. Well, so I asked Tina Cassidy what she thought about where Alice Paul should go. Like, where do you talk about these later parts of her story? Mm-hmm. And she actually brought it back to the 19th Amendment again, which is interesting. So this is what she said. I mean, I, I think telling the story of the fight for the 19th Amendment is crucial. So that can back you up all the way to 1913. Um, and what's really interesting is the interplay between the suffrage movement and the start and end of the First World War. So um, those two things overlapped. And I do think that the the U.S. involvement in the First World War escalated uh, the acceptance of this idea for the 19th Amendment, because Americans were fighting for democracy abroad and yet didn't have it at home. How could we in America say that we are, were a beacon of democracy in trying to show you know, Europe, uh, Russia, Germany, you know, all of these countries what true democracy was when we had disenfranchised half the population or had never enfranchised half the population, right? So, um, you know, people really noticed the hypocrisy of that. Suffragists also used it as part of their campaign against uh, the Wilson administration. Woodrow Wilson was the president then. He was against suffrage. 
He was for the war. And, uh, you know, I, I just think that you can't really understand American democracy for the rest of the 20th century without understanding that moment. So. And I mean, amazing life. Yeah. She's an amazing woman. So where can, do, do we have a lesson plan on this one? Yeah. So at this point, we have started to write, a, we have a lot of lesson plans now oh, on women's me. suffrage and the Equal Rights Amendment. Okay. And so I see this particular topic as the bridge between suffrage and ERA. Okay. And obviously there's a lot of things in there, like World War II and Rosie the Riveter, women yeah. getting involved in the war effort and all that as well. Um, but we have an inquiry on our website right now that asks, why did Woodrow Wilson change his mind? And I don't, uh, there are documents that students read where they realize that Alice Paul is protesting and kind of a thorn in his side. And they're drawn to conclude basically that it's because (laughs) of her that he changes his mind on this issue. Okay. And, um, that's pretty awesome. So that, that inquiry though, I think would be, is, is supplemented really well with the next inquiry that we have, which is her, her writing of the ERA and what she does afterwards. Awesome. Um, so we're sort of setting up this, we're working towards with all these lesson plans we're cranking out this continuous narrative from the beginning to end yep. of, of U.S. history about women's story. Yeah. And we're actually, because suffrage is such a huge topic, we're starting to link all those up together. Well, and they span huge decades in America, which is really cool that you can paint the narrative from that lens. Yeah, it's getting really exciting to see it all kind of piecing together. You know, yeah. you, know you might know a topic in women's history and then realizing that it's interconnected with yes, the, it's like and then this to this and this to this and then yeah, that must be nice. It's getting there. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Thanks, Kelsey. Brooke, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, I'm Brooke Sullivan. I'm Kelsey Eckert. See you next time. Woo! <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to Remedial Her Story: The Other Fifty Percent. Please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to your podcasts to bring more voices to the conversation. We really appreciate that effort. Until next time.